Good evening. Welcome to this week's edition of the Let's Talk About Sports podcast. Today's episode will welcome back special guest Donovan Jones, varsity soccer and basketball athlete at Seattle Preparatory High School. How are we doing today, Donovan? Doing great. Doing great. As we move further into season two of the podcast, sports leagues plan on returns from the coronavirus delays, as well as social injustice and systemic racism continue to be the main themes among sports headlines. We'll start with the NBA, who, like we mentioned in last week's episode, plans to return on July 30th. Utah Jazz coach Quinn Snyder praised star guard Donovan Mitchell for using his social media platform to push for social justice and cited some of the negative feedback as proof that significantly more progress needs to be made. Mitchell expressed dismay about racist comments some fans made in a response to his Instagram post of an image that read, free-ish since 1865, honoring Juneteenth, the holiday that commemorates the effective ending of slavery in the United States. In a tweet hours later, Mitchell questioned how fans could cheer for players but be so openly against their push for social justice. There were a lot of positive comments surrounding Donovan's post, Snyder said during a video conference call Thursday with reporters. That said, there were also some comments that were abominable and things we should, we all should never tolerate. To the extent you can rationalize some of the, those negative comments by saying there were positive comments, I think that's a mistake. We all have to be that diligent because as long as those comments are there, there's work to be done. Snyder, who was a part of the NBA Coaches Association Committee on Racial Justice and Reform, kept the focus of the call with ESPN reporters on social justice issues. He said he would discuss basketball at a later date as the planned restart of the NBA season nears. What do you guys make of Snyder's comments about the Donovan Mitchell situation? I thought it was very respectable. I didn't think, uh, I thought it was very intelligent what he said. I think he really put his players first um, in terms of how he phrased what he said and put some time into it. Um, I definitely think the Knicks should be taking notes from what he said. Um, But yeah, he kept it pretty simple and um, straight to the point. And it was definitely something very positive in my opinion. I mean, to me, it's, it's not that big of a surprise considering that they put him on the committee of coaches for diversity in the NBA. Of uh, that also has Steve Kerr and you know Greg Popovich, who also speak out about you know these type of matters on a consistent basis. So I really don't think it was that surprising. Wasn't that surprised that you know he backed his players and backed Donovan on this matter? Yeah, I, I expect nothing less from Quinn Snyder, who was born and raised in Seattle, a highly educated area, as well as an area compared to the rest of the country that is highly progressive in terms of racial biases and all that stuff. So coming from that background, I would expect Snyder to, to back up his players and to call out the racist comments he saw on Mitchell's post. And... You know, it's kind of sad that you got all these jazz fans cheering for black players and they can't even simply support Black Lives Matter. That's just mind boggling to me. But 
I'm not surprised at all. Salt Lake City is one of the most racist cities in the NBA, and they have a lot more progress than some of these other cities in terms of racial equality to make. Moving on, the NBA and the NBA Players Association are planning to paint Black Lives Matter on the court inside both sidelines and in all three arenas the league will use at the Walt Disney Resort when it resumes the 2019-20 season late next month in Orlando, Florida, league sources told ESPN. The WNBA is also discussing painting Black Lives Matter on the court where it begins its abbreviated 2020 season at the IMG Academy in Bradenton, Florida, sources said. What do you guys think of both leagues making these moves to support their black players in the Black Lives Matter movement? It's like I said, it's not that big of a surprise. The racial injustice element of the whole NBA restart was a big dispute this whole time for the last several weeks. So them paint, painting it on the floor is yes, it you know keeps it in people's minds and yes, it's cool. But I think the bigger deal is the fact that they're allowing players to have you know different signs on the back of their jerseys in order to get that type of message out there to the public in order to get people more aware of what's going on. I think that per se is more innovative and could possibly have more impact than just you know painting Black Lives Matter on the court. Um, you know, from my perspective, I think um, a lot of these teams, leagues, and whatnot, and I guess public figures have taken a lot of heat um, for not making any statements or not making sufficient statements like the Knicks organization, for example. Um, so I think at this point, um, painting Black Lives Matter may be a small act, but I think we should give credit where credit's due. Um, I think we're quick to give negative feedback as to what they're not doing. So I think we should acknowledge what they're doing as something good, something positive, and maybe, um, you know, like a, a, a step in the right direction. Uh, to Lamar's point, I, I do think that um, being able to put something creative on the back of the jersey may be um, a little bit more innovative and whatnot. But um, as far as putting the Black Lives Matter on the, on the floor, I think is very important, especially with uh, the um, fan base that NBA has in general. And WNBA, it's much smaller scale, so I think to me that's a lot less important. But the message is still the same, which is very positive, and like I said, step in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the NBA is mostly made of black players, so they felt they needed to take a stance and stand with them. So they did what they thought was necessary, and this is definitely a great step forward. And hopefully we'll see the MLB and NFL and other sports league take similar steps to stand with their black players. And, you know, they may, they may lose some fans because for some whatever reason they're against the movement, but like Adam Silver said, those are fans that he'd be happy to lose. Yep. The Los Angeles Lakers are planning to sign free agent guard J.R. Smith and submit his name as part of the franchise's roster for the restart in Orlando, Florida, sources told ESPN. Smith and the Lakers have been discussing a deal since starting guard Avery Bradley opted out of the season restart last week. 
Smith and the Lakers were working through the final details of a contract on Monday in Los Angeles, and there are believed to be no hurdles in the finalized deal, sources said. What do you guys think of this pickup by the Lakers, and do you think he can help them win a title? Uh, for me, personally, you love to see it. Now, I know JR may have gotten flack for, you know, forgetting the score and all the other JR-esque things that he does, but it's like, you know, a Sour Patch Kid. Sometimes it's sweet, sometimes it's sour. And JR, whenever, you know, he's cooking and whenever he's rolling, it's only going to pay positive dividends. And worse things worse, he is only going to create more floor spacing because he's a better shooter, in my opinion, than Avery Bradley. And in JR's prime, he was one of the more athletic players in the league. So I think, you know, he fits the whole restart with, he has chemistry with several of the guys already on the team. He's a consummate professional. Uh, he's been on the championship, you know, team. He's been on several championship contenders. Feel like it's a no brainer. Um, In my opinion, I think, well, first and foremost, losing Avery Bradley, is huge, huge. He was a key role player off the bench, you know. He was a lockdown defender. Like, um, he could stretch out the floor, but the main piece was his defense. Mm -hmm. Now, J.R. Smith, with the chemistry that he had with LeBron, is he the answer? No, he's simply not. He's not the answer, nowhere near it. Avery Bradley is someone irreplaceable at this point in time, and J.R. Smith is certainly not the answer. I think um, even I mean if they sign him that's great. I think even playing Zach Norville, the uh, um, that was playing on the G League this this year on, the, on their G League affiliate would be a better would be a better decision. I think J.R. Smith, although he does stretch the floor, and like Mar said, in his prime he did have a lot of athletes. He is not in his prime. He can he cannot shoot the three ball better than Avery Bradley. He hasn't played in a while. Might as well give the youngster a chance and he can develop. I don't see what problems J.R. Smith the salt. He if anything, he's creating problems. You've already seen his antics with the with um, with the protests, with beating up the kid and drinking, all that stuff. He's bringing he's definitely a lot more of a locker room liability or uh, uh, yeah, locker room liability than uh, than a solution to uh, losing every back. I mean you bring up the point with his chemistry with LeBron. If it was really that bad, do you do you honestly think the Lakers asked LeBron if he was okay with signing J.R. Smith? Like, obviously they did. So, yeah. clearly there can't be too many issues with their chemistry because well, every front think... office is going to consult with LeBron before they make any transaction. But continue, to continue on your point, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he plays because he has not played since, what, October, November 2018? Yeah. He's had a long layoff from the game, yeah. and he will probably be very rusty. So that could be problematic, but at this point, the Lakers don't have a lot of depth at shooting guard, especially with how poorly KCP has been playing. So I I don't really see what they have to lose in signing J.R. Smith. But my main point is Avery Bradley ain't never in his life shoot the ball better than J.R. Smith. That's the only thing I can say. The defense, the other stuff, I can understand that. But J.R. Smith has hit 12 threes in the game Avery Bradley, if he's hit seven or eight, that would be news to me. Not saying Avery Bradley can't shoot, but JR got one of the best heat checks in the game. Okay, so if you really need an outside shooter, 
you know, the Knicks recently uh, released on Lonzo Trier. Why not sign him? He's not a better nah. shooter than JR. If we're talking about purely nah. shooting, JR's a better shooter than both of those guys. Mm-hmm. I get most of your points, but if we're talking about shooting, if we're grading them three as shooters, JR's the best shooter. Yeah. It's, de- it's definitely going to be a downgrade from Avery Bradley, but shooting-wise, J.R. Smith is a better shooter. But what J.R. can do, they already have in Danny Green. So that's my thing about it. But moving on to the NFL, 2015 NFL MVP and former Carolina Panthers QB Cam Newton has reached an agreement on a one-year incentive-laden deal with the New England Patriots. League sources told ESPN's Chris Mortensen, and Adam Schefter. Newton will now will step into the mix to try to re- help replace former Patriots signal caller Tom Brady, who left to join the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in free agency. The Patriots did not select a quarterback in April's draft, with 2019 fourth-round pick Jared Stidham and 11-year veteran Brian Hoyer atop the depth chart. Where do you think Cam Newton will fit in the Patriots QB mix? I mean, he the starter off rip. I'm not trying to hear Jared Stenham this, Jared Stenham that. He going to start. Cam Newton on his worst day is better than Jared Stenham. So that's already, that's all we all we need to get off the table right there. Far as offensive scheme, yeah, the receivers couldn't catch a ball to save their lives last year. Julian Adelman was beat up favorably. And then Nikhil Harry had such a late start to his rookie year that no one really got to see the potential that he flashed when he was at ASU. So I think the biggest thing is they got to protect Cam. They got to, the receivers got to catch the ball. And barring, you know, all things going well, I feel like they're in a good position to challenge for the division title. And they have a much greater chance of making the playoffs now than they did before they signed Cam. Cam just got to protect himself, and they got to make sure they protect Cam. Yeah, another big thing for that Patriots offense is Sony Michelle had one hell of a sophomore year slump. He took a big-time step back from his rookie year. So the Patriots are going to have to figure out some way to get that running game going because it's going to be difficult for those receivers who are subpar to get separation if there's no threat to run the ball. So I think that's going to be big for Cam and that offense is getting that running game going. And it's all going to come down to the offensive line's blocking. Blocking for Cam in the passing game and creating some type of holes for Sonny Michelle because there was many times where he had nowhere to run, especially in those games against, you know, the Ravens where they got absolutely pounded. That game against the Titans, he had nowhere to run. I mean, there were a lot of games where that offensive line was nowhere to be found. All I have to say is don't sleep on Stidham. Do not sleep on Stidham. Now, the Patriots are in love with Stidham and what he can bring to the table. I think that he's going to bring a much bigger challenge to Cam Newton than what people would speculate as of now. So do not sleep on Jarrett Stidham is all I have to say about the Patriots offense. I mean... He could challenge, but it's like, this isn't like Drew Bledsoe and Tom Brady. Cam is a, a former MVP. So Cam, this is, this... healthy Cam, is it's not even, it's like, it's like comparing 
caviar. Jameis Winston to Mike Glennon. Like salmon. Yeah. It's like caviar to salmon. Like, this is two different levels. Yeah, no. I don't care what the Patriots say about Jared Stidham. I mean, at best, I see his future as an NFL QB being a journeyman backup who occasionally comes in for games. His ceiling is maybe Josh McCown. <laughs> That's a good one. I thought you was going to say him. I was thinking more Mike Glennon, but, you know, I'll give him a little bit more respect and say Josh McCown. But moving on to more Patriots news, the NFL fined them $1.1 million. It took away a third-round pick in the 2021 draft among the punishments for their television crews filming of the field and sideline during a December 8th game between the Bengals and the Cleveland Browns, according to ESPN. In addition, the Patriots television production crews will not be allowed to shoot any games during the 2020 season, and senior club officials will undergo required training on league operation and game policies. What do you guys think of the NFL's stiff punishment on the Patriots for league violations once again? Uh, Me, my only advice to the Patriots, I understand, you know, the the common saying is, if you're not cheating, you're not trying. But considering how hard they try everything, why you got to try hard at cheating? Like, you you had the system figured out. The rest of the NFL obviously isn't that bright because you can, you know, pay Cam Newton a bag of, of peanuts and you get him for nothing. So all these different moves that they make, they always make way ahead of everyone else. They're playing chess and everyone else is playing checkers. So I don't understand why you have to cheat when, like, you're recording the Bengals. Like, the Bengals. The Bengals. Before they played the Bengals, they had one win. One. True, but guys, it let's not act like it matters. Patriots are not going to be a title, probably not even playoff contender team this year. It does not matter. It will not have a big impact on the franchise. Realistically. Yeah, at the end of the day, a third-round pick and $1.1 million. To the Patriots, that's a slap on the wrist. To the Lions, that's getting the hammer taken down on you. Yeah. I mean, fair. I think they're going to make the playoffs now that they got Cam. At first, I didn't think they was going to make the playoffs, but now that they got Cam, I think they'll make the playoffs. And with the fact that there's now going to be seven playoff teams in each conference, you have that extra wild card. You're telling me they can't go 9-7 and seven and make that third wild card? Come on now. They play the Dolphins and the Jets twice a year. That's four wins right there. Or should be four true. wins. At, at the very least, three. Yeah. I mean, I, I still think the Bills are taking the division, but the Patriots should have no issues making a wild card. Moving on, FedEx asked the Redskins to change their name. FedEx has naming rights to the Redskins Stadium, which they paid $205 million for the rights to. We have communicated to the team in Washington our request that they change the team name, FedEx said in a statement obtained by ESPN. FedEx, Nike, and PepsiCo each received letters signed by 87 
investment firms and shareholders worth a combined $620 billion, asking the companies to sever ties with the team unless it changes its controversial name. Adweek reported on Wednesday. On Thursday night, Nike appeared to remove all Redskins gear from its online store. You can go ahead and search Washington Redskins on Nike.com and nothing will pop up. The other 31 NFL teams were listed and a search for the Redskins came up with no results. Nike did not immediately respond to an email message seeking comment. Dan Snyder announced on Friday that the team will have a meeting about a possible change and potential new names for the franchise. Where do you think the Redskins go from here? Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm a DC resident. Well, not resident, but I'm DC native. And for my whole life, they've had this name. And for at least half of my life, they've been disputing whether they should have the name or not, especially when I was in high school. And Dan Snyder hasn't done anything. I think the only reason why it's a legitimate discussion is because of the current climate in our society. Thanks to, you know, the Black Lives Matters movement and all the other things going on. As well as the fact that big, you know, billion dollar companies, you know, big influential companies are calling him out and threatening his dollar. And when it hurts your pockets, everyone cares more, whether you genuinely care or you don't care. So I think that's the only reason why it has a good chance of getting changed because for the first time in all this debate, other people that have big influence on the money that the Redskins make, whether it be through the stadium deal or other types of advertising are hurting Dan Snyder's pockets and that's what he really cares about. Yep, I mean, Dan Snyder said all along, unless there's a good financial reason to change the name, he wasn't gonna change it. Well, look here, you got FedEx, Nike, and PepsiCo that could lose $620 billion if the team does not change its name or if they do not sever ties with the team for not changing its name. That right there sounds like a good reason to change the name to me. So I have a hard time seeing them not change the name because it would just be financial suicide for them. I mean, Nike already took down all their gear. That could be a big time problem. Franchises like Fanatics and, you know, other websites that sell Redskins gear, they could be they could be next to take down their stuff if they don't change this name. So I'd be very shocked to see them not change their name, especially with what's going on. And it actually sparked a debate between the Indian Cleveland Indians organization on whether they should change their name. You know, we've seen a lot of these high schools change their names that were offensive to Native Americans. It's time we see that on the professional level because they should have taken that step first. To be in 2020, especially with the um, political, social climate we have going on in the U.S. right now, it's um, most definitely tone deaf to have Redskins, Indians, Seminoles as your as your mascot name. Like it's just t- absolutely tone deaf, and there needs to be change now. It should not be a discussion. The only discussion should be what the na- what the new name should be at this point. And let me put it this way. 
you know, I think a lot of this has slid because there's such a low Native American population that nobody's really hearing their voices. If there was a team named the Blackskins, the Negroes, or the Nigerians, all hell would have broken loose. That's, that's good that you mentioned the Seminoles because I just was about to ask that question. Do y'all think that the Seminoles at some point are going to offer to change their name considering everything else is happening? See, they're not as trivial because it's it's a specific tribe name and it's not necessarily, it's not as derogatory as Redskins, obviously, and not as derogatory as Indians, but it's definitely borderline and they're better off being trying to be on the right side of history than keeping up a quote-unquote cool culture that they've had for so long being the Seminoles so I don't think there's going to be much of a debate there moving on University of Arizona pauses plan for athletes to return to campus the school waits for permission from Governor Doug Ducey after he ordered all Arizona gyms to close again due to one of the biggest coronavirus spikes in the country happening in Arizona. What do you guys make of this messy coronavirus situation in Arizona? Stay inside. It's really not that complicated. We have bars and clubs open in the middle of a pandemic with absolutely no social distancing going on. It's not like the bars and clubs say, it's not like they say, you know what, we'll open the bars and clubs, but only people with tables can go in so we can continue to social distance. You know, the restaurants, I give them credit. They were very responsible in terms of social distancing. They had probably a group at one of every three tables. Most restaurants didn't allow parties greater than six to eight people. They, they're requiring masks until you're seated at your table. The restaurants have been respo- responsible as long with, or along with a lot of other businesses, but the water parks and clubs and bars, they just said, screw it. We're trying to get all that money back that we lost. And where did that end them? Close again. So hopefully they're le- they learned their lesson this time. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I feel like in general, we got a bunch of dummies and all the dummies apparently want to be in, you know, warm places and they're more worried about summer than they are their own health. That's why we see, you know, all these places that you named that were packed at capacity pretty much, like the bars, the clubs, the water parks. So hopefully they learn a lesson eventually for everyone's sake. Yep. Moving on to college football, former University of Iowa running back Akram Wadley says his time at Iowa was a living nightmare. Wadley, who played for Iowa from 2014 to 2017, mentioned head coach Kirk Ferentz, offensive coordinator Brian Ferentz, and former strength and conditioning coach Chris Doyle in the allegations published on Facebook by Robert T. Green whose sports advisory firm is working with several former Iowa players to voice their experiences with the program. Wadley alleges that Brian Ferenz, the son of Kirk Ferenz and an Iowa assistant since 2012, repeatedly asked him if he planned to rob a liquor store or a gas station whenever he saw Wadley wearing a team-issued wool cap. 
He also alleges that Iowa targeted him and other black players for not gaining enough weight during the season, which led to him binging on shakes before workouts and becoming very sick. I was threatened by Kirk Ferentz that my meal card would be taken away and I will not eat nor be able to sit with my teammates during eating sessions, Wadley writes in his statement. He did not follow through on his threat. I went to use my meal card and it was declined. I had to call my mother from New Jersey at 10 or 11 at night because I was hungry to order Domino's pizza for me. Or I would have to go to a fan's house earlier at night to eat because there was no way I was going to be able to make it through the next day vomiting, being weak, and be able to make it through school and practice. Wadley writes that he asked Broderick Benz, Iowa's director of player development, to find him a therapist because no one in the football program would help us or listen to what we had to say. After meeting with the therapist once, Wadley writes that she disappeared. No one told me where she went and no one was put in place for her after that, Wadley writes. I didn't want to ask too many questions because he, we would get punished for any and everything. Wadley writes that he turned to alcohol to cope because of his experience at Iowa. He led the Hawkeyes in rushing in each of his final two seasons and finished his career with 2,900 rushing yards in 43 games. My time at Iowa was, has done things to me that I am not going to discuss because knowing how these people treated me and other black athletes, Wadley writes, I am done giving them power over me. But if I could do it all over again, I wish I had never played for the Iowa Hawkeyes. I would not encourage any future athletes or parents to send their kids to go play for the Iowa Hawkeyes under that current coaching staff. What do you guys make of Wadley ripping apart the Hawkeyes football program? Speaks for itself. There, There's no... He can say... He can make all kinds of politically correct statements. That does not make up for any of what he did. His true character is shown through the past, not what it is now. I think he needs to be removed from his position. I'm not saying anything radical. Um, He needs to be removed now if they want to save the football program. I don't see them getting any high-profile recruits in the near future. With that being said, I do not think that should tarnish the program in the future if they remove the coaching staff or the, I should say, the the ones that were causing the problems. But yes, the, and he was not the only one to have complaints about the Iowa football program. That is an issue with the, within the coaching staff. It is not a one-off. And that is what's important. I mean, to go off your point, it's 100% a coaching staff thing. You aren't hearing these stories coming about the basketball program, about the softball program, about the baseball program. This is strictly about the football program, and it just shows that their coaches had a lack of institutional control. I mean, I, this might this might be a problem with all of their players. It may not necessarily be just the black players. From what Wadley was saying, there's nothing that really proves that it was racially charged. It just sounds like he was treating his players poorly in general. So whether it's racially charged or not, he needs to be removed as the head coach. And his son's got to go, too. I mean, that is just inexcusable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I agree with both of what you guys said. I just think, in general, we got to... I think 
it's a problem in all sports, but I feel like it's even more noticeable in football because of it's the culture around football in general. But we got to stop having situations where we have, you know, teams predominantly filled with black players and the coaches or the higher ups that are supposed to be, you know, leaders of men and supposed to have, you know, influence, supposed to be protecting these guys from all the other, you know, crap that's going on are essentially the problem. Like how how am I supposed to play at a school and the coach that recruited me and told my mom that, oh, he's, I'm, he's gonna look after me, he's gonna take care of me, is racist. Like it just doesn't add up in general. That is all we have for this week's episode of the Let's Talk About Sports podcast. I'd like to thank special guest Donovan for taking time out of his day to be on this episode and thank you all for listening today. The next episode is being released on July 10th by 11.59 p.m. Follow the Let's Talk About Sports podcast new social media accounts by clicking the Instagram and Twitter icons above to find out when the episode is released and to find the link as well as engage in some cool sports content that we post on our page. You can also subscribe to receive automatic email updates for the Let's Talk About Sports blog and put in content requests or requests to be featured in future episodes by going to the contact tab at the top of this page.